0: If you brought a copy of Scripture, you can find Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27 as we we get back into our series, Faith of Our Fathers. So here's the opening question. Do you ever take matters into your own hands? Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane where we just finished that series, uh, Jesus Christ the Greatest. Remember when Judas and Company came in, Peter reached for his sword, tried to take the head off. The guard got an ear. What was he doing? But taking matters into his own hands. But you know, in juxtaposition to that moment, at the very same time, Jesus looked at him and said, put your sword away. Remember that? Don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels to come and assist me at any given time? What was Jesus saying? He was saying, I refuse to take matters into my own hands. Do you take matters into your own hands? I did, just a week ago, during the second service here at Easter, you wanna hear about it? I'll tell you about it later. (laughs) Maybe even in this message. The truth of the matter is, it's very humbling that from time to time, God will use me even when my heart isn't right. Has he ever used you and your heart wasn't right? Remember the story of Jonah? I mean, his heart was so not right, whole city gets saved. Greatest revival until Pentecost. But how much more if our hearts are right with God? Might he use us? by not taking matters as our natural inclination is to do into our own hands and put them where they ought to be, into the hands of God. The story today illustrates God will get his job done whether your motivations are right or not. As one theologian called it, he, goes, he calls it the invincible determination of God. He's going to get it done. The patriarchal line of Abraham that moved to Isaac is now about to go to Jacob, that trifecta. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is about to receive the promises to come to him that will eventually make its way to Jesus and to all of us. So, But the truth of the matter is the transfer wasn't looking good. For one, God's choice didn't look the part. Favoritism in the home didn't favor him. Even though Jacob was the chosen son, it would take his enterprising mother along with himself to take matters into their own hands by hook or by crook, by any means necessary. Rebecca and Jacob would make it happen. In fact, I think the plan had been brewing in the heart and mind of Rebecca for a long time, and this was the day she would spring it forth. But let's review. This is the series, Faith of Our Fathers. We picked it up in Genesis 12, looking at the patriarchs, beginning with Abraham, that God called. Remember, Abraham was an idolater. He was a pagan. He was not a follower of God. God snatched him from the clutches of darkness Chose him, pulled him out, and said, "Through you, I'm going to bless the world." By the way, that's that's how he takes us too. We're not pursuing God when he gets us right. And then, eventually, comes Isaac. In his old age, Abraham has Isaac. Isaac, then, when he's 60 years old, un- undoubtedly wondering if he's going to become like his dad, finally has a kid. Actually, has two. Has twins, fraternal twins, Jacob and Esau, and they could not be more unlike one another. Esau is the manly man. He's adventurous. He's wild. He's tough. He's a sportsman. He's a hunter. And Isaac favored Esau a lot. The very smell of him coming delighted his dad. Esau, on the other hand, was also a rank unbeliever. By now, in Genesis 27, he's already married not one, but two pagan women, and he's about to marry a third. He's not following God. Now you got Jacob, the chosen one. Jacob is domesticated. He's quiet. He's the introvert. He's a mommy's boy. More importantly, he's God's man, though nobody would say he fit the part chosen to to don the mantle of god and keep the blessing going so to speak so by now in genesis 27 many years have passed and isaac is old and dying his body is dying and his faith is fading esau and jacob have been at odds with one another literally from the womb all of their lives in God made clear from the beginning he'd chosen Jacob. Isaac knew it. Rebekah believed it. But Jacob's makeup, softer for sure, must have left Isaac wondering, did my wife get it right when she heard from God? I don't think she got the right one. We don't know for sure, but the bottom line is this family, this family has been taking matters into their own hands for generations now. By now, Jacob has already tricked his, his twin brother Esau, remember that, by getting the birthright, tricked him into selling it to him for a bowl of soup, which tells you all you need to know about Esau. But why would he do that? Wasn't it already his? Wasn't the promise already Jacob's? Go like this. It was. Why would he do this? Personally, I think one of the reasons he did was because I I don't think Isaac ever affirmed God's will for Jacob, watch this, to Jacob. I don't think Isaac, who knew better, ever affirmed God's will of Jacob to Jacob. And that may be one of the reasons why, and sometimes we're tempted to take matters into our own hands because it just seems to make sense, right? Anyway, the bottom line is Isaac, his heart is ready to give up, but he's determined to bless the son of his heart. That's not Jacob, that's Esau. In fact, he tells Esau here, I'm dying. Here's what I want you. To do. do what you do best. Go out and kill a deer. Get it all ready, you know, make it the way I like to eat it. Give it to me. I'm gonna bless you with, verse four says, with my soul. So, boom, grabs his bow and arrow and takes off and goes on the hunt. What he didn't realize is that the scripture says, now Rebecca was listening. Well, what do you know? They lived in tents. She overhears it. And I think she knew this day was coming. I'm sure she had reminded Abraham repeatedly throughout life the promises to Jacob, the promises to Jacob, the promises to Jacob. I bet they had some knockdown, drag out domestic squabbles over this deal. I mean, Isaac, look at the kid. I mean, no way. He can't be the guy. No, he is. Back and forth they went. I'm sure of it. But the bottom line is Isaac in this heavily male dominated world would have his way, just like we like to do when we take matters into our own hands or so he thought he'd have his way rebecca might have been under isaac in authority but she was over him in wits and over all of that above all of that was god determining with his invincible determination to make happen what needed to happen namely the blessing to go to uh, to jacob so nevertheless, we, I want you to watch how this enterprising, take matters into her own hands mother goes to work. And we'll pick it up in verse 8. Now, he's, she's already grabbed, she said to Jacob, look, it's a mess. Your dad sent out Esau to go get a kill. He's going to bless him. and you need. Here's what you need to do. Verse 8. Go to the, I'm sorry, now therefore my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare them for uh, delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. That is, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my mother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. What a funny statement. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall, I shall uh, seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and, bre- and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. I told you this woman was enterprising. She even had clothes ready, at the ready. Esau's own clothes to be able to put them on Jacob. Jacob. And holy cow, I should say holy goat, but she could even make a goat taste like a deer. That's a pretty good cook. And by the way, how hairy was Esau? I mean, this is, this is the evolutionist missing link right here. And how absurd must Jacob have looked? How absolutely absurd. He must look like a clown. But I love what R. Kent Hughes said. He said, The deeper absurdity was the mother and son's belief God would not be able to accomplish his own purposes without their help. And so now the drama really ramps up. It's all there. He's brought the goat, it's going to taste like a deer he's looking like a clown, he's going into his dim-eyed dad, and watch this drama unfold and count the lies that this guy starts spewing out. Verse 18, so he went to his father and said, my father. He said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Hmm. I have done as you told me. Now sit and eat, eat my game, that, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, oh, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. There's another lie. By the way, poor God, he's been credited with some of the most ridiculous successes I've ever heard of. And here's one of them. So he said, oh, I mean, God gave me success, he says. So... Then, verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. I mean, can you imagine? Jacob's got to be sweating bullets at this moment. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice. The hands are Esau's. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and said, Are you really my son, Esau? (gasps) Yep, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac blessed him. Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. Wow. Now, all of this is happening. I mean, here is Isaac operating completely on his senses. He clearly smells a rat, but he smells the venison, likes that better. His senses are leading him. And once he draws them close and he gives them the kiss, that's it. Middle of verse 27, Isaac... <sighs> Smelled his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son. Is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed? May God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of earth, the plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples bless you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be anyone who curses you, blessed be anyone who blesses you. Who do you think he's blessing? Who do you think he thinks he's blessing? He thinks he's blessing Esau. So some would ask, as one of our interns did just the other day, so how do you explain a couple of thousand years, give or take a few years later, when the writer of Hebrews says, by faith, Isaac invoked a blessing upon Isaac and Esau, uh, or rather Jacob and Esau. How, how do you explain that? How is this a faith thing? Well, we'll see that in just a moment, how it is. Now, the drama is just crazy because, as, as the story goes, as soon as they're wrapping up and Jacob's picking up his stuff and God's already blessed him through his son, he's excited. He walks out the tent and Esau walks in. He's, he does, he's not dragging the deer. He's got the, he's got the venison. He's fixed it up. He's got it. It's, you know, come on, dad, rub a dub dub. Let's eat the grub and get this blessing thing going. And in that moment, imagine the horror of his dad. In fact, look at verse 32. His dad, his father said to him, Who are you? He answered, I, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then I, and the Hebrew is really powerful here. Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. I mean, he is literally shaking from head to toe and he declares he's blessed him. By the way, what does this tell you about the power of words? The spoken word. The blessing from Isaac to Jacob was, was unwitting. That is, he didn't know he was blessing Jacob, and yet it came. The blessing came. The blessing from Isaac to Jacob came by deception, and yet it came. It came by words. You and I might say, take them back. But let me tell you something. In this era, these words were more powerful than a sign, sealed, and delivered deed of one property to another. So as Isaac is now declaring to Esau that he blessed the other guy, Jacob, he concludes with these words in the last line of verse 33. Yes, and he shall be blessed. There's where the faith came in. And it wasn't a heebie-jeebie, I feel good about it, faith. But it was more of his, Isaac's own personal declaration that at the end, it was his humble admission that he had been one-upped, not by Jacob, but by God who had deemed it that Jacob would get the blessing and not Esau. In spite of the sinful actions of his son, nobody ever gets one up on God. Even Nebuchadnezzar declared that after all he'd been through, turned into an animal-like individual, gets restored... At the end of his testimony, Nebuchadnezzar says, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing before God. And he, God, does according to his will in the armies of heaven amongst the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stop his hand or say unto him, What are you doing? Have you ever read that? Because you never get one up on God. And Esau, he's left hanging. The only blessing left for Esau, I mean, please, I mean, they they, they go, oh, you got something left over for me, Dad? And the only thing left over for Esau, the only blessing is an unblessing. You'll see it there in verse 39. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, Isaac says to Esau. And away from the dew of heaven on high, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless you shall break his yoke from your neck. That's the blessing that Esau got. The truth of the matter is every character in this story loses. Every single one of them loses. Isaac lost humbled by his own willfulness to resist the known word of God. He lost. Jacob lost. His role in the ruse would send him running, as his mom would send him off. For 20 years, he would be away from the promised land and his family. Rebecca lost. She lost her idol. She lost Jacob. Did you know that the record of Scripture records or doesn't record they never meet again? Mother and son. And Esau, he lost everything. I fear for God's people who live their lives taking matters into their own hands rather than placing them into God's. If you live your life taking matters into your own hands, beware. You'll demonstrate your mistrust in God rather than trust in him. So if you're a husband, rusing, planning, without talking to your wife, you're taking matters into your own hands. If you're a wife, rusing, planning, doing things apart from your husband, you're taking matters into your own hands. You will not be blessed when the scripture says, submit yourselves one to another. Making plans without counseling, determining without praying, scheming instead of believing. These are all ways in which we show that we're really living life you know, taking matters into our own hands by hook or by crook. The landscape of our church, our own church, is littered with men and women who've chosen to take matters into their own hands. Some of you are living out the regrets of that to this moment. When I was a younger pastor, I went to Lincoln, Nebraska, and heard uh, Warren Wiersbe and Elizabeth Elliott preach at this conference, and I heard... At the time, at the height of his popularity, Chuck Swindoll preached. He preached on Uzziah, the great and godly king. Remember him? Uzziah, I mean, what a a great king he was until the end of his life. Like Isaac, his faith began to fade, went into the temple. Remember, took on a duty that wasn't his to offer. Remember that? And he, he got struck with leprosy. Swindoll so preached on this, and then he said something, one of the most profound things I've ever heard a preacher say. I memorized it on the spot, and I ask you to do the same. He said to the congregation that day, he said, you're in trouble when God's help is nice, but not necessary. You're in trouble when God's help is nice, but not absolutely necessary. Because you're taking matters, no matter what it is you're doing, into your own hands, you will not be blessed. If you live your life taking matters into your own hands, you'll live by your senses rather than by the Spirit. And no other passage in all the Bible collects all these, not all the senses, but most of them together into one guy, like Isaac. I mean, look, I mean, look. Look at all the senses that just come out of this narrative. Taste, feel, hearing, smell. He had all these senses activated, and he was still fooled. Just like you will be, just like I will be when we operate on our natural senses. The world has long given up on Christianity, because it, really because it doesn't hold up to scientific experimentation. I've got news for you, it never has. It's never held up. I mean, there isn't a miracle in the Bible that will hold up to scientific experimentation. That's why they call it a miracle, right? Last week, a a beautiful young lady came, approached me after one of the services. She had trusted Christ as her Savior a number of years ago under this ministry, but she'd gone off. She's in a secular college away from this area. She was in the service, she was deeply moved, very tender hearted, and she was also very confused. She had not walked with God for several years. I don't know if she's truly born again or not, though she claims to be. But she was tender in the moment, and we talked back and forth. She came to me, she said, she said, I." she started talking about her life and what she's doing, and I, I said, you know, you're really a product of our culture. She said, yes, I am a woman of the culture. And she was, indeed, a woman of the culture. So here's what she said. She said, if two people, and she had talked about how she had all of these gay friends, and they were wonderful people, and this and that, good friends. She said, if two people love Jesus and each other, what's it matter if they're the same sex? That's a legitimate question, isn't it? And she meant it. She was full of pathos, but she meant it. Tonight, by the way, we're going to tackle this issue more full force. But the short answer is that we're not given the choice by God to operate on our feelings. I know we're, we're just a, feel, a feelings inundated culture. But Eugene Peterson was right when he said, the Bible gives very little time to our feelings. It, it, gives, it, it just doesn't give, I mean, I know that disappoints some of you. It doesn't ignore our feelings, but it doesn't give a ton of time to our feelings. Christians who really love God, they love God's word. And if they, now listen, you don't just love God's word, those who really love God read God's word. What I've discovered is most people who claim to know God, they don't know the Bible until so they build these caricatures of God. That just becomes an idol or an ogre, both being bad. Because they don't know, they don't have the knowledge of God. I think Jen Wilkin is right. You, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. So you love the Word of God. You love to read the Word of God. And then you actually obey the Word of God, which Jesus said is the ultimate litmus test, right, to whether or not you love God is if you obey it, right? And finally, those who love, read, and obey God's Word, watch this. They are the ones who trust, wait, and in God's time, experience God's supernatural, beyond our natural senses answer from God. They don't jump the gun with, I feel, I want, I need, I got to have kind of living. That's not Christianity. Now back to the young woman. I When I spoke to her, her question had to do with, Sexual feelings that are natural or unnatural that most of us naturally have. What I said to her was, I said, I might naturally be tempted by the beauty of another woman, but that does not then allow me to operate on that sense, on that desire, on that temptation. That would make me a predator. That would make me immoral. That would make me an adulterer. That would make me a sexually immoral man, which ironically is exactly how Esau is described later on in scripture. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, look how Esau is described. It says that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like who? Say it, like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And if you live your life taking matters into your own hands and live off of your own senses and not by the Spirit, you'll become like Esau. If you live your life taking matters in your own hands, finally, you'll follow wisdom from beneath, not wisdom from above. There is another kind of wisdom out there that looks right, but it's wrong. There's a passage in the New Testament I want to conclude our time with this morning, to sort of speak it over you, speak it into you, hopefully, you could virtually take this passage and lay it on top of the narrative we just looked at. The beauty of this passage shows how you can put your pressures and your fears and your natural desires, physical desires, how you can get them out of your hands and get them into God's hands where they belong. And here's how the passage goes. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct. Notice how you show it. By good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Meekness means self-control, strength under control. The meekness of wisdom. But, If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, stop boasting and lying against the truth. That kind of wisdom, the writer goes on to say, does not descend from above, but is earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, Confusion, remember the young lady, and every evil thing are there. Have you ever read that? But the writer doesn't want us to end on that note. So beautifully, he concludes with these words But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, watch this, willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's God's wisdom. And the person who refuses to take matters into their own hands. So let's just look at it again in our minds. The wisdom that's from above, that comes from God, it's first pure. Ask yourself, how are your motivations doing in whatever area of your life is driving you? What's motivating you? Is it pure? It's peaceable. God tells us in another section of scripture that it's, it's the peace of God that's supposed to rule and, 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 and direct our lives. Is this wisdom gentle? You know, it's not always what you say, but how you say it, right? And then this, willing to yield. That's, that's, the, that's the kicker in this passage. Willing to yield. The idea is is when I'm going in one direction and God stops me, and he uses various means to do it. He might use the word of God. He might use the spirit of God. He might use a man or a woman of God. But the idea is when he stops us because he wants us to go this way, then we go this way because we've yielded. Wisdom says we're willing to yield. And we don't just dig our heels in. We don't just go pell-mell in the other direction. That happened to me, by the way, just last week. After the first service, a guy I've been working with for the last several months walked down the aisle, told me he trusted Christ as Savior. I was jacked. I was so excited. It's so cool. And then I got back and preached the second service, and I, was, I preached the same words, but I just yeah, it just didn't feel the same. I felt I didn't feel the power. I didn't feel the connecting. God might have used it because remember, you know, if our heart, even if our hearts aren't right, he sometimes uses us, right? And I just felt awful about it. I couldn't figure it out. And so as I made my way up this aisle right here to the third service, before it started, there was somebody in the praise band sitting right here. They were bowed in prayer, and they noticed me, and they sort of looked up. I said, hey, what's going on? And they said to me, I'm just getting my heart right for the third time around. And it was like God himself spoke to me in the moment and said, yeah, that's exactly what you didn't do going into the second service. And I walked to a dark place, having been spoken to by God's person and god's spirit working in conjunction with one another and i went to a dark place and i repented i said god i am so sorry i took matters in my own hands please forgive me and please give me an extra cylinder to get through this third service and he did The wisdom that's from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, then it's gentle, and then it's willing to yield. Are you willing to yield when God speaks to you by his spirit or his word or by his people? It's full of mercy and good fruits because that's the only way we can tell if something's wise is the fruit that's coming out of our lives, right? And it doesn't have partiality like the story we just looked at, and it doesn't have Hypocrisy. So judge for yourself. Are you taking matters into your own hands, or giving them to God, seeking his wisdom to get his will done? God, thank you for your word, the storyline, and all the characters in it. And Lord, I imagine that there are people in this room that can connect with every person in that story. I'm sure we have some pretty, we got some older people who had at one time a vibrant faith like Isaac, but their faith has been fading. Bring them to repentance. There are Rebekahs in this room, Lord, who are enterprising and scheming, take matters into their own hands, and they're paying for it, cause them to repent. For the Jacobs in this room who have gone along with that with the ruse and become liars and deceitful, cause them to repent. And for the Esau's in this room who are immoral, utterly and completely devoid of your spirit. If that's you, my friend, if you would say that's me, I don't know God, my life shows it. And if you're sorry for your sins, unlike Esau, would you just repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, believe that he died for you and rose again, believe he, did, he chose not to take matters into, into his own hands but submitted to his Father, and the will of the Father was that he die for us and rise again. Would you believe that? Trust him as your Savior. Lord, we've been reminded today that we're in trouble when your help is nice but not necessary. May we repent of any kind of thinking in those areas so that we might give you the greater glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand.